Welcome to Sovereign and Free, making a biblical case for the Holy Spirit's freedom to work as He wills and the believer's call to believe what Scripture teaches about Him. This episode is part one of the first session with some meaningful introduction. Let's join the session. We're going to be looking at the subject of the Holy Spirit, His person, His work. It's a biblical case for the Holy Spirit's freedom to work as He wills, the believer's call to believe what Scripture teaches about Him. And so we're going to look at God's Word. We're going to look at the New Testament. What does the New Testament teach us about the Holy Spirit? The purpose of this class is really to take a deeper dive into God's Word and say, what does He teach? Sovereign and free really is just summing up that the Holy Spirit is sovereign. He's the King. And He's free to do as He pleases, to do as He wills. Kind of our course map. We're going to do four units over the next three months here. First, an intro and foundation on the Holy Spirit. So today we're going to kind of open up, like I say, setting the table. And then the next two weeks, we'll actually do a survey. Fingers will be burning in the pages of our Bibles as we go into a variety of texts, across a whole bunch of texts, about the Holy Spirit. What does the Bible teach about the Holy Spirit? Who is the Holy Spirit? So we'll do a deep dive there. Then... Our second unit will be a New Testament study, verse by verse, in one chunk of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. This is the classic passage about the Holy Spirit and His workings in the church and in the context of the Corinthians. Third unit, we'll go through additional New Testament texts. So again, kind of a survey across books of the Bible, looking at issues, dealing with issues around the Holy Spirit and His workings. And then fourth unit, we'll deal with questions, issues, and applications from the things that we've considered in God's Word. Let's start by just kind of having an introduction and some background. What sparked this course? What's the purpose of it? Just kind of a word of testimony and explanation about that. I was what you would call a cessationist until I was in my 40s. And there was a key turning point actually in May this month, marks eight years, uh, since I listened to a message by John Piper. It was actually a biography that he gave at a pastor's conference in 91 about Lloyd-Jones, Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of the great preachers of the 20th century. And I'm listening to it. I can remember as a 15-year-old hearing Richard DeHaan on the radio argue from 1 Corinthians 13 that when the perfect comes refers to the canon. And as a 15-year-old lying in my bed in Greenville, South Carolina saying, that doesn't work. So I've, I've never been a cessationist. What? So that actually, for me, personally sparked a kind of, wow, I need to check this out. You know, and so I actually, for the next year, year and a half, was kind of listening to both sides of this whole debate of cessationism and continuism um, and saying, what is biblical? What's true? What should I believe? And so that's kind of the background for this. My MO as a facilitator for this class, in our context, there are differing beliefs. We have brethren from different perspectives. And my heart's desire is not to divide people. Um, my, my desire is that as we grow in God's word, it gives hooks for our faith to rise to biblical grade experience. Um, there's a lot out there in the marketplace of churches and religion and ideas about the Holy Spirit. Well, what's true? How do I know what's true? How do I know what's really according to God's word? And that's what we're going to really wrestle with. So to kind of frame our thoughts this morning, the main bulk of this class is we're going to have seven opening questions. These seven questions are going to help us set the table, lay a foundation to chart the course for these next few weeks here together. Our questions that we're going to look at are how do people establish believable truth? How do you figure out what you're going to believe? Secondly, why does this matter? Why is this important? Third, what is sola scriptura? Fourth, 
What are the main ologies we'll look at? We're getting kind of nerdy. We're going to some $2 words. Fifth, what is cessationism? I mentioned that I was a cessationist. Well, what is that? What is that talking about? And what is continuism? Let's define that too. We'll just take some time to define that. And seventh, what are the differences between Pentecostalism, charismaticism, and continuism? These are just big fancy terms. We don't hang our hats on terms. They're just shorthand. And look at the social, the religious context, just briefly. And uh, see kind of what are the differences. We'll look at that real quick and have a little fun with it. So let's go in through these seven questions now. Again, if you have your notes handy, um, I have some blanks there in the notes to fill out to kind of keep us engaged. So the first question, how do people establish believable truth? There's really three ways that we can know what we know. That's experience, thought, and Bible. So what are we talking about there? How do we establish things that we know? For example, experience. Let's, let's take an example of Moses. All right, Moses is out in the desert. He wants to eat. He's hungry. There's a lamb. Experience is Moses cooks a lamb. He eats the lamb. He doesn't die. He figures out it's okay. Experience. He experiences lamb. Okay. And thought is another way that we establish what we believe in. Thought would be Moses creates a cookbook, how to cook gourmet mutton. You've got lamb. Here's how you make mutton. Here's how you cook lamb so that it's really delicious. And that would be thought. That would be books that we read by authors. That would be hearsay. That would be social media. That would be news. So many sources. But it's all from people. Moses wrote that cookbook, How to Cook the Best Mutton. And third, distinguished from that would be the Word of God. And that would be where God tells Moses how you sacrifice a lamb. This is the way you do it, Moses. That's from God. So there's a definite difference between people telling you, now here's how you make gourmet mutton, and God saying, here's how you prepare the temple sacrifice or the tabernacle sacrifice in, that, in those days. So does that make sense? It's a divine origin versus a human origin. There's three, those are the three ways. If you think of anything that you believe, it's one of those three. Every bit of science, you either experience it or you've been taught it, right? Or you've got it from God's word. So those are really the sources that we use. And it's important to, to recognize that going forward so that we can see what are the things that I was kind of believing that were just my experience. So uh, let's move on to the second question. Why study this topic? Why does this matter? And basically six reasons that are in your notes there. Why this matters. First of all, to seek the glory of Christ in his churches through glad satisfaction with his will and way in all things. We can experience more peace when we are satisfied with his will and his way. It gives him glory. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in him, in other words. Number two, to strengthen faith in the whole counsel of God's word. Again, gives our faith hooks to hold on to. Third, to promote greater balance between and fullness of both spirit and truth. Spirit you could equate to heat. Truth, you could equate to light. Spirit could be emotions. Truth could be intellect. You see how they kind of correspond with one another? Head and heart. Both of those elements. So you see churches and believers who are more heart. And you see believers who are more head. Some who are more spirit. Some who are more truth. So they talk about the frozen chosen. Maybe they're really cold in some ways, but they have really deep thoughts and high thoughts about God. And you have others who are really 
driven by their feelings and their impressions. They, they may be a little fuzzy about the character of God or his works, but I love Jesus so much. Well, can we have both? Can we pursue both? That's what we're looking at. We want to pursue both a deep heart and a deep mind for Jesus. Fourth of the six is to see the fullest measure of Christ's power, presence, and smile experienced in the body of Christ for its edification and ministry. That's a big phrase. It's just saying we want more of him. And how do we experience more of him? We experience more of him when we are submitted to him, when we are growing in him, when we are getting closer to him, we're going to see more of his power and presence. And so that's one of the reasons why this study really matters. We want more of him. Fifth, to help further see the practical implications, and here's some $2 words, uh, and I put the first letter there, of pneumatology on ecclesiology and hagiology. We're going to define those terms right away. Those are fancy terms. We're not going to sit there and say them every time. But it's just to frame our thoughts. So again, to help further see the implications, the practicality of this thing called pneumatology, which is just from the Greek, means spirit, study of the spirit. Pneumatology, pneuma like a pneumatic tire. Ecclesiology, ecclesia, the church. And hagiology, which is not about hags, not about witches. It's from the Greek word hagios, or holy. It's about our holiness. So pneumatology, or the study of the spirit, has an impact an effect on the church and on our holiness, on our group life and our personal life. And sixth, to biblically and graciously address the beliefs of cessationism. I mentioned I was, I was a cessationist for 41 years. What is that? We want to biblically and graciously, kindly address those beliefs and say, how is that an issue? And we'll, we'll go deep dive in that. I know I'm yapping a lot. We'll have more interaction as we go along. This is more just setting the table. Third question, what is Sola Scriptura? Anyone never heard Sola Scriptura, that term? Is that a new term? Okay. So Sola Scriptura is a term that came from Latin. Sola, meaning only, and Scriptura, the Scriptures, the Bible alone. Sola Scriptura. And it basically answers the question, by what authority and who determines what is true? There's a lot of people saying a lot of opinions and a lot of thoughts. Well, by what authority am I saying that opinion when I give you my, my opinion? By what authority am I saying that? Well, Sola Scriptura says, by the word of God. And what we find is, what I found over the years is, a lot of times I believe something, I think, but I really find that the word of God challenged me on that and really corrected me and showed me that whatever our thoughts are, our opinions are, we want to be open to the word of God having the right and the authority to speak and say what is true. And that's what we're after. We're after true experience of God. The second item there, it holds God's word as the final authority in all things, including the assertions that I make in this, class, this course and our responses to them. So, so whatever I say, if it's true or not, test it by the word of God. And if, and if I'm not true to the word of God, then definitely go with the word. That's what our standard is. And that's PVCC standard. That's really where we're at. Does that help clear that up? What is soul scripture? So fourth question, what are the main ologies we look at? Let's define those $2 words real quick. Ology just means words about something, study of something. So theology, you know, gets a bad rap in some circles, but theology is just words about God. It's thoughts about God. So we're going to look at God. We're going to look at God, the Holy Spirit. Soteriology is another big word. Soterios, it's just a Greek word for salvation. 
So it's words about salvation, teaching about salvation. Pneumatology, you heard me mention that a minute ago. Pneuma, like pneumatic tire. Pneuma, spirit, breath, the breath of God. It's about the spirit. Hagiology, like I said, not about witches. Hagios, we are called holy when we're in Christ. And ecclesiology, which is, again, the word in the Bible for church. So all these ologies. Theology, soteriology, about salvation. Pneumatology, about the spirit. Hagiology about holiness, ecclesiology about the church. I'm not going to sit here and flip those words out every five minutes. It's just to give us a framework. We're talking about God, about salvation, about the spirit, about holiness, and about the church. Fifth, what is cessationism? What's that talking about? That matters because there's really a couple of main schools of thought. When we talk about the Holy Spirit, really two main perspectives. There is cessationism and there's continuism. What is that talking about? Well, let's, let's go there. And here we have six kind of distinctives that most every cessationist would agree with. One is, and if you're following in the notes there, it's the belief that the giftings and the workings of the Holy Spirit are segregated into two sets, continuing and ceasing. Some of the things that the Bible talks about the Spirit doing, he still does today. And some of those things that the Bible talks about, he stopped doing at some point in the past. Cessation, cease. Second, one set of his working ceased to be performed at a point in time before Jesus coming back, Christ's second coming. Number three, therefore, certain New Testament texts concerning the Holy Spirit and his workings, they only apply to that bygone era and they do not apply to Christ followers today. They only apply to the past time that the Bible is referring to. They don't apply today to believers. So that's that third point. Fourth point, the cessation or the ceasing of certain workings of the Spirit is generally believed to have happened when? At the completion of the, there's the blank, biblical canon and or the death of the New Testament, capital A, apostles. So cessationists believe that there are works of the Holy Spirit that you see in the Bible, that those ceased, and they generally ceased either when the Bible was done or when the 12 apostles went to heaven. That's, that's generally what's believed. Because it, they say it's related to those 12 apostles, it's related to the Bible being written. Fifth, from that cessation of those gifts, until the end of time, until Christ Jesus comes back, second coming, the Holy Spirit's working in believers and churches is limited to the set of continuing works that their system, their ideas specify. So for example, they would say, let's use a hot button issue, tongues, the gift of tongues that the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit giving, that ceased at that point in the past up until Christ's coming. But a gift like the gift of administration is still being given by the Holy Spirit. He's still giving the gift of administration to believers. And see where you got one that's ceased, one that's continuing. They're kind of two different sets, two different groups. And sixth, what is cessationism? Some cessationists would assert that the ceased workings of the Spirit were only practiced by the apostles, only done by the, the twelve. Well, not Judas, right? Matthias, who replaced him. But by the twelve apostles. And they have a special term, and I put it in quotes there, apostolic assistance. Apostolic assistance. Like Philip, Stephen, Barnabas, and so on. So apostolic assistance. Well, they're not one of the 12 apostles, but you see in the book of Acts, they're doing things. We'll get into that later. Only the apostles use these special gifts. Not your average brother or sister. It was only for these special 
men of God who were with us and gone. And that those gifts were given, as the statement here says, as evidence that they were true messengers from God. It was their calling card. And they were not granted to other believers since they were not apostles. So they were not granted to other believers since they were not apostles. Does that make sense? So some cessationists would teach us that, man, these gifts that you see in the Bible, like tongues, that was only the 12 apostles and the apostolic assistants. That's it. Nobody else in the church practiced those. And we'll go there. We'll look in the Bible. Is that that what the Bible teaches? Is that true? We'll see. And so those are kind of six things that that define cessationism. You get a clear sense of it. There are certain gifts that the Spirit still does giving, administration, so on and so forth. But then there's these other gifts the Bible talks about that was just for that time. Any questions? Any comments? Pretty clear? I think Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I'll just say, uh, great job. I appreciate the detail. But one thing, and uh, you alluded to it, but I think we probably need to be clear that cessationism is not a cult. Right. There are brothers. You know, we're all brothers. And you call them cessationist bros. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, but, you know, yeah, uh, but you know, you were a cessationist for forty-one years. You were. I hope saved I was saved. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just this is this is secondary, and we're all going to laugh about it when we get to heaven. Amen, bro. That's right. That's right. And and remember, when I talked about what are the reasons why does this matter? You're right. It's a secondary issue. It's not salvation, is it? But it's really important yes. if we want to have the fullest experience of Jesus before heaven. That's what I'm after as as a facilitator in this class. We want more of him. Well, how do we get more of him? Let's break it down. That's the idea. Thank you very much for that distinction. Yeah, not cultists. No, not at all. Brothers in Christ. Yeah, someone else had a question? Yeah. Uh, Just how would you address the fact that um, Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came and they all spoke in different languages, that seemed to me, and maybe not, a one-time thing. I love it. That's a great question. We're going to go there. And then we will get there in U3 especially when we look at various texts in the New Testament. I'm sorry to make you wait. (laughs) But the short answer is quantitative, not qualitative issue. I don't know if that answers your question. So what is continuism now? Let's look at six distinct things that continuism, you might also hear it called continuationism, the longer word. What is continuism? There's really six distinctives that most continuous would make. One, believing that the Holy Spirit is sovereign and free to give or withhold any of his workings that are revealed in the scriptures to any true believer, anywhere, at any time, to whatever degree, and he always will do it for the glory of Christ. He will always do it for the glory of Christ. So the Spirit is sovereign and free to give or withhold any of his workings that are in the scriptures, to any true believer, anywhere at any time, to whatever degree, and he'll always do it for the glory of Christ. Big statement. The continuous will say that the Spirit is free to do what he wants. There's times in history where there's a great revival. There's times in history where it was really dark. Two, all New Testament texts, everything in the New Testament, about the Holy Spirit's workings are to be understood and held by faith and not by sight like what I experienced or didn't experience, regardless of anyone's experience or non-experience. Doesn't matter what I experienced as a five-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 50 Doesn't matter what I never experienced. We have to take the word of God by faith and not by sight. We have to say, 
how much do I believe in the Bible? Do I really trust that it is true whether or not I've experienced what it teaches? And so that gap between the Bible and what I've experienced, prayer, right? I can ask God for that experience. I can ask God for those things. He's sovereign and free to do as he pleases. But I am in a disposition of, I want to be conformed to the word. That's the idea is we're walking by faith and not by sight. And that's true when we look at the Bible and we see things that I've never experienced. In the next episode, we'll round out this first session with the rest of the seven introductory questions. Until then, grace and peace to you in the spirit of Christ. Christ.